0: Robot Chicken Week continues on the Adult Swim podcast today. I'm recording this in the very booth where they record the show itself with a guy who's been with the show from the beginning. He's an actor. He's a writer. He's a drummer. Here's Brecken Meyer.
1: Uh, sometimes I play drums. I mean, I'm, uh, there's a friend of mine who, if he calls to. Uh, I play, I will play with him.
0: <laughs> what drummers do you, are you, a, like, a, did you grow up playing
1: drums? Yeah, I grew up playing. Uh, my older brother played guitar, so if I wanted to hang out with him, I had to figure out some instrument, and I'm not tall enough to play bass because they tend to be tall and lanky, yeah. <laughs> so I took up
0: drums. Drummer's the hardest the hardest instrument, right, in a band?
1: Uh, it's definitely, a, in my opinion, it is because you got to be the first one there and the last one there to leave.
0: You can't have a band without a drummer. You
1: can't have a band without a drummer. Yeah. And if you do, you're the proclaimers, I guess.
0: Is it, Do they not have a drummer?
1: Well, they're just too twins singing <laughs> about 500 miles sounds
0: terrible what uh, drummers do you admire do you like
1: uh, what drummers my favorite drummer is actually a buddy of mine uh, Josh Freeze who's uh, on tour with Sting right now Dave Apruzis who was with Pearl Jam for their uh, kind of biggest moments Dave Grohl obviously big Dave Grohl fan uh, um, Eric Panda from Bruno Mars one of my favorite drummers and, uh, yeah big fan of drummers yeah okay <laughs>
0: What questions usually get asked about Robot Chicken? What do people come up to you and they say?
1: Uh, I guess the main thing we get is the stuff that they repeat at the panels when it's uh, like Q and As. You know, the most general one is, "Where do you guys come up with your ideas?" (laughs) Um, What's the answer
0: to that? We'll get everywhere.
1: I mean, it's literally everywhere: the internet and pop culture. The good thing about pop culture is it keeps evolving, so we it's kind of evergreen for Robot. Um, Last last Comic Con, some kid asked us. He basically claimed that we were the reason people shit on Aquaman. Like, he's like, Why did you guys start the whole Aquaman's Lame? And we're like, What are you talking about? The creators of Aquaman started Aquaman is Lame. Like, they're the ones who made him talk to fish. And uh, I, I was proud that he thought we were the reason that Aquaman has been, you know.
0: And he was irritated. The, the with
1: whipping you. boy. Oh, he's very irritated. But also, just that he attributed the constant whipping of Aquaman to robot was wow. impressive. What has
0: been your role in the show from the... How did you first get hooked up with it?
1: Um, well, Sethy and I have been friends forever. So when Seth did this, he started out, you know, he did this um, short for Conan because he was going on Conan and everything to talk about. So he created this animated short about him and Conan at Comic-Con. And uh, I provided some of the voices and we, you know, spitballed and came with the idea. And then Sethy went off and he kind of came to us later and he was like hey I kind of took that idea and ran with it and it was before there were webisodes but Sony bought it and put it up on the thing and you did so, voices
0: on the Conan piece? yeah
1: so did voice on the Conan piece and then from the beginning it's just been whenever Sethy had something he wanted someone to either you know scribble around with or punch up or riff we'd get together so I think pretty much from season one I've been either voicing or writing or writing in the voice booth uh on Robot, it's kind of my favorite day job.
0: Is that uh, does that Conan piece exist out there in the world?
1: It does, yeah, it definitely does. I'm sure it's probably on the DVD of like first season of Robot. Um, it was back when it was called Sweet Jay Presents, right? Um, which was from a movie that Ryan, Phillippe, Seth, and I had shot on our video camera. What? Yeah, it was a movie. We did a movie with these characters, and Seth was in a mask. And when his character was about to be tortured, he just went, "Oh, sweet Jesus!" And it was always something we joked about. It was always a company name we joked about, Sweet J. And anytime we get a celebrity's autograph, we have them sign it to Sweet J and stuff like that. So when they went to name the show, they tried that. And I guess uh, Adult Swim and Sony kind of rejected a bunch of different names. and eventually, Including that one. Including that one and eventually it became Robot. Uh,
0: have you been to Adult Swim in Atlanta?
1: I have. I've been to Adult Swim. Uh, there was a moment where I had – I was doing – Robot Chicken for Turner, Franklin and Bash for Turner, and Men at Work for Turner. And so I had I was working three different shows for them. So there was a lot of uh, times where we were out in Atlanta kind of kissing the ring and stuff.
0: Yeah. What do you do when you're in Atlanta? Uh,
1: usually I'm working there. Usually, like, we shot Road Trip in Atlanta. Um, we did the pilot for Franklin and Bash. And then other than that, we I guess we just kind of wander around Buckhead trying to stay cool.
0: <laughs> so they usually ask you, where do your ideas come from? Yeah. What voices, what else?
1: Yeah, I mean, they ask, what voices do you do? Where do you come with your ideas? Has a celebrity ever been angry at you for the way you portrayed them? Mm -hmm. Um, Has that happened to you? No, not really. You're more on
0: the front lines of other celebrities, so you might see celebrities more than some of the people.
1: Yeah, and I I was concerned, like, you know, I do Lohan on the show, and I've also worked with her, hence me doing her on the show. And I was always curious, not... Fearful, but I was always very curious what her reaction would be when she found out. And then I saw that on IMDb, they accredit her name to Michelle Trachtenberg. So if Michelle Trachtenberg ever gets beat up randomly in an alley or goes missing, I'm pretty sure money's on loan. So I I, I escaped the wrath of Lindsay because it's, it's not credited to me on IMDb.
0: Have uh, actors come to you and said, I want to come on?
1: A ton, yeah. We get a lot of actors who say, hey, I'd love to do the show. Um, J.K. Simmons was one that I, I brought in. Uh, I think um, Josh Groban. Uh, and, yeah, occasionally people come up to me and ask to come on the show. Jennifer Love Hewitt. Jennifer Love Hewitt's funny. Here's a Easter egg for all y'all. Love has known Seth for years. They did a show called Birds of Paradise when he was 16. She was 8. I don't even know. But then I worked with her on the Garfield movies. I worked with her on Party of Five. And we've known Love forever. She's like a little sister to us. And she's repeatedly asked to do the show, and then every time we ask her to do it, she turns us down. (laughs) What? We don't understand it. We're very confused to this day. But, uh, yeah, so we get asked, um, and it's fun now. I mean, it used to be, you know, if we were doing Scarlett Johansson, we'd have to get a sound alike, or Sethi and I would do it. And then once there was a little bit of success with Robot, we would get the opportunity to actually use, you know, we'd have a role for Scarlett, and we'd call her, and she would come and do it. And uh, it's kind of amazing to see the show grow in that way, almost like it became bigger than itself, like it became bigger than the parody, because now we had the actual people we were parodying, parodying themselves.
0: Has that changed the nature of the content? Did
1: no, I don't, think I don't think it's changed the nature of the content, because <laughs> we are always kind of no-holds-barred. If they want to do it, great, but this is the one we're doing, and we can always do a sound-alike if, we don't, if they don't want to do it, but... The amazing thing is that's – I mean actors love that stuff, especially guys who are on shows um, where they've been on shows for a long time. You know, the guys on Walking Dead, when they came in to do their characters, it's like, yeah, of course they want to do their – they'll do their characters for us. But what they want to do is the stuff they haven't been able to do. You know, Andrew Lincoln, it's fun for him to play the homeless lady who's throwing cats at people as opposed to playing Rick Grimes because he plays Rick Grimes every day for seven years. Um so that's been the really fun thing is you kind of promise like when I asked JK to do the show I told him I said you'll have fun you'll do your know, your character from Oz or Whiplash or whatever but then the real fun is you get to do these other characters that you don't get to normally do.
0: You get you get 3
1: You get 3. You get 3 bites of the apple cuz we're not a we don't have a big budget. So when we hire actors we get them to do usually their signature character and two others. And the two others is always when they have the most fun and get to improv the most and have the most kind of crazy time. Do you come to those records? I like to. I uh, I always kind of whine to Matt and Sethy that if uh, if it's someone I'm bringing in, I want to be here for the record, and yeah. they it always slips their mind. So yeah. I'll get a text from J.K. Simmons. It's like, hey, I did the show. Where were you? And I'm like, I am fucking no. They didn't tell me you were coming. <laughs> and then I'll send Seth an angry text. And
0: Are you surprised that it's been around so long?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I guess I, I am, clearly. And then when I think about it, I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, the good thing is, Our subject matter constantly evolves. I mean, it's similar, not that we're anywhere near this, but it's similar to SNL. When people are shocked SNL's been on so long, I'm like, yeah, but the environment they mock constantly changes. So they constantly have new targets and new rewards for that. And I think Robot's similar in that the minute you see, oh, man, IT2's coming out, I know we're going to get to do some fun IT2 stuff. And it's definitely stuff I wouldn't have thought about beforehand, so... The ever-evolving, kind of evergreen nature of pop culture, I think, has helped the show sustain. But we also, you know, we bring in younger writers because we're all ancient now. Um, So we bring in younger writers to explain what Netflix is and Venmo and things like that. Um, So the good thing was with the new writers, they bring properties that either we know but don't know that well or have never heard of. You know, to this day, I don't know if we've ever gotten a Ben 10 sketch on, but I know I've never seen the show. I've written a ton of sketches about it. They're all terrible. They're all about Ben having ten kids, and none of them have ever gotten on air. <laughs> to this day, I don't know what the show is. Apparently, it's a kid with a magic
0: watch. Do you keep pitch- pitching them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just because it's the white whale. But I also give myself challenges in the writers' room when it gets when you get bored. Which is, I challenge myself to get a Ben Ten sketch on the show, having never seen Ben Ten.
0: <laughs> is there a is there a niche? Uh, sort of hyper-specific reference that that you're proud to have inserted into the show that very few people might understand? Yeah,
1: uh... I mean, I think kind of a signature thing we came up with, which I feel like started with Lohan, but I could be wrong, which is the character doing and saying the same thing, meaning Lohan will wink, but instead of just winking, she'll go, WINK! like that while she does it. And so... There are times where Lohan will be yelling at someone, and she'll be like, I don't think that's the way it should go. Leave! And she'll leave. So it's almost like she's a robot who's telling her body what to do, because every now and then it doesn't it doesn't function properly. Wow. What's it about
0: Lohan that's so amusing?
1: I, I spent like two months doing a movie with her, and every time I would call into the writer's room or come here after or on a break, I would have these stories. I would just have these fun stories, and the voice came came about and we just started laughing in the room and eventually she kind of became this kind of uh mascot of the show in some ways where she was just if you needed a person to say outlandish things but somehow make sense it sounded like lawen. So
0: has she responded to any of it, you know? I don't think so. No. I don't think she, doesn't I don't it, think no. it penetrates her
1: world <laughs> so to speak. She might say it did, but no it doesn't. That's also the thing we get with a lot of people is they say they've seen the show and it's clear they have not. They haven't. Um, yeah, it's very clear when certain people come in to record that they have absolutely no idea what they pretend.
0: They, they pretend to know.
1: Or it was the assistant who's a fan right. or their kids are fans. My kid told I, me to do it. Yeah, I think when uh, George R.R. Martin came in here, it was very clear he had never seen the show. Why? Uh, I, think, <laughs> Why? I think Stan Lee. It just, you, when you, you talk to him, you can just tell. You can just tell when they sit down and kind of go, okay, so what is this? Who am I? You know, you're George R.R. R. Martin. You're just playing yourself. Who are these people? Those are dragons. You created those. You know, so it, it becomes clear who has seen and who has not seen the show. But we don't care as long as they want to come play. And my thing, you know, with Robot, I think one of the reasons it's sustained so long is the joy of it. I mean, Sethy created a show that is like when you're playing with action figures. And, you know, when we get in the booth and riff and goof off, it it is that. I mean, even though the show's scripted, it's sometimes, and it takes a year to get to the screen, there's still this freshness about the show that almost seems like we're riffing. You know, the improv aspect of it all, which is fun to do in an animated show because it's rare you can do that.
0: The people seem very cheerful who work here.
1: Yeah, everyone seems pretty happy. I think it is a really happy place to work. It's a really creative vibe.
0: You've worked on a tremendous number of shows. Mm -hmm. Does this feel different?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is why I keep coming back to Robot. It's kind of my favorite day gig. Um, It's, you know, it's rare you get to work with... First of all, Seth's been my best friend since I was 15. So to work with your best friends, to come in, goof off, have an idea the night before and go, wouldn't it be funny if Rainbow Bright and G.I. Joe went on a date and she was the aggressor and at some point, you know, he had to bring charges and we reverse tail hook it. Like, you know, just silly stuff like that where... You can get there and they go, yeah, that's a piece of shit. Don't do it. Or someone else goes, oh, and what about if we added this? And then next thing you know, you got bitch pudding. And, uh, you know, we have really, you know, characters catch on and stuff. But it is, it's such a creative environment. There's kind of um, no shame in brainstorming here. There's just like any any idea can come from anywhere and it can come from nine people. It doesn't just have to come from one.
0: The ideas find you during the course of your day when you're not here?
1: Yeah. I mean we yeah, definitely things find uh I think probably more outside of here than in cuz I'm used to these surroundings. Do you but, sit in the writers room? Yeah, I mean uh, when I can, when I'm when I'm not on another gig, I come and sit in the room. And it's fun. I mean, there're definitely times where I'll call I'll literally just text Seth an idea for a sketch that came to me on whether it's on another set or just at the car wash. Um but also we get you know, you get tapped out, you get bored, and I have a thing where I'll just say to – did it yesterday. I said to the writers, you know, I say to Root, hey, give me a word. And he'll literally just say, participate. Uh, pre- what was it? Precipitation was the word he gave me. Mm-hmm. And so then I'll go, all right, and I'll write a sketch based on that. And then I'll say to someone else, give me another word, and they'll give me a word, and I'll write a sketch based on that. Um, some of them get in. Most of them do not. <laughs> Because they're terrible.
0: You don't take offense when somebody kills you. Or when they, I
1: take uh, massive offense every time. I hold everything sacred like a farmer holds his crops. I get very angry when shit doesn't get in, and it usually leads to me texting Seth all hours of the night. Yeah, what the telling fuck? Him, he, telling him he doesn't know what he's talking about, and he's weak into nation. nation. Um, or I'll just go over to his house. I've been known to go over to his Show house. Show up. Yeah, I've been known to just climb his fence and come in and get angry. <laughs>
0: What is it about the stop motion or the toys that makes this show funnier? Is it, can you get away with more?
1: Yeah, I think you have kind of nonstop freedom with it. A big part of it is you can't really get mad at a toy in a way. You know, I mean, again, it's supposed to be like you're playing with your toys. And kids say the darndest thing. So we kind of have this get out of jail card more than most shows, I think, because they're not real people and it's not even real uh, second D animation—it's li- like you know it's not real. It's an action figure. You can see it moving. It moves clunky because it's stop motion, and I think that does buy us a little freedom in the uh, in how far we can push it. It's interesting
0: that um that the toys are dead eyed, <laughs> and uh, something about that seems to remove or it seems to make uh, ch- more challenging topics more palatable.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think so. Again, I just think. You look at action figures, and you're like, all right, if I'm going to get mad at this, I'm going to have to get mad at not the action figure and not the actor. i got to go all the way to the writers, and then i got to watch this whole show and wait for the credits. I don't think people have that kind of time. It's a long time. I think people get bored. It's 15 minutes, but I don't think anyone's going to wait around just to be angry.
0: It's got to be hard to anticipate what's going to be relevant in 18 months.
1: Yeah, it is. And we take that into consideration. I remember when the Tiger Woods scandal happened, his car accident and all that stuff came to light. We had a couple pitches about that. And we thought about it and we're like, guys, in 18 months, this might, this might not be around. It might be sad by then because there is a wife and two kids involved. Or it just might not be relevant anymore. Who knows? Tiger may do something totally insane in three months. And then now this thing's total wash. So we definitely take that into consideration. There are certain things that you know will stay green like you know a Star Wars movie.
0: Ten years ago or more when yeah. you started doing this, there wasn't this sort of pop culture news churn. Mm-hmm. things like you're saying, Tiger Woods coming in and out. Yeah. I mean, now that could be a two-day minute a 2 day story.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we have to think about, you know, we tend not to get crazy political. And again, I mean, the subject matter hopefully continues to be relevant because what we're talking about is, you know, truthfully, at the end of the day, the sketches are still about the most human emotions and stuff, whether it's fear, anger, love, lust, you know, or actually I guess it would be The Seven Deadly Sins, but... That's what the show's about? I mean, I think you... No, I mean, I think most sketches on any show or most subjects um, can boil down to, you know, those seven deadly sins. And with our show, it's just a matter of who's the vessel. Is it Optimus Prime or is it (laughs) He-Man? And then again, with the younger writers, we get more stuff. We get to, you know, now it's... You know, it's just pop culture keeps changing. So now it's... You don't necessarily do a sketch about Instagram, but you're doing it about Snapchat, or you're doing it about TikTok, or you're doing it about um, whatever the latest thing is that we don't even know about. If it's interesting enough and we think it'll have legs, and we'll write about it. But you have a child, children? I have children. I have many.
0: And they, do they watch the show?
1: They don't watch the show. My teenager has seen the show. Um, I don't know how much she watches it, but she's definitely seen it. Um uh, my youngest has not seen it
0: do they do they avoid it because it's yours?
1: no, I think they avoid it because it's on too late. I think it's on after they're asleep yeah and they can probably go on the internet my they both love coming to the q and a's they love coming to work um they just don't see the show as much but this is like a playground to come to for kids. oh my know? gosh we have everything here. yeah everything if you want to be creative we got that if you just want to goof around we got that If you want video games we got those you want a Matchbox car that goes through the wall, we got one of those. Are you a toy guy? I am. I'm a fan of toys, yeah. What's,
0: My house is, there's shelves filled with toys. When you go to somewhere like San Diego, what's your uh, what's your Robot Chicken Comic-Con experience like?
1: The Comic-Con experience has always been really fun for me. I didn't grow up reading comics, and I wasn't a Comic-Con kind of attendee before, the, before Robot. Um, Sethi and Matt were, and Root and all them, and... Uh, Once I went there for the first time, it was so much fun because it's very rare you get to talk to, whether it's one on one or in a panel, you get to actually um, communicate with the people who watch your show, with your fans, and not that I mean everyone. You know, if you do a job and someone walks up to you on the street, you can meet your fans. But but at Comic Con, it really does feel like we're going home. We're all in this family. Every time we go to the Indigo Ballroom, it's I don't know two thousand of our close friends. And we're just bullshitting together. We don't do a panel where it's like, you know, we show a clip of the new season as a fun thing. But really, it's like the minute we can open it up to Q&As, we want to. Because it's like, what do you guys want to talk about? Let's talk about stuff. We've been doing this together now for 13 years, including the fans. So it's really this kind of communal get-together at Comic-Con. It's really something special. It's definitely different from your normal press junket where you're asked the same questions by nine different reporters. Because here you're talking to the fans and they have deep dives and they'll have deep cuts where they're like, you know, in episode 203 and you're like, brother, that was 12 years ago. I got no fucking idea why it was written. You know,
0: do you start to know the fans? Do you recognize the fans? Do you have recurring fans? We do.
1: We have we have specific recurring fans. Um, So there was this little kid named Emmett and Emmett had a question and it was for Seth. And I didn't like that because I'm an egomaniac and I jokingly riffed with the kid and. You know, just put him down for his way of asking questions and all this stuff. Next year, oh, so we started a hashtag. We started this hashtag, which was either fuck Emmett or kill Emmett and all this. (laughs) And it took off and it started being a thing. Next Comic-Con in New York, first question up at bat was Emmett again. Kid was there again. So I ran, gave him a big hug. Third year, he gets up there. uh, A man gets up and asks a question. and His normal, like, you know, mid-40s dad. And he said, I'm Emmett's father. Wow. And I want you to yeah. know that Emmett's here. He's grown up a bit. And he introduced Emmett. And Emmett was about 6'2. Wow. And had just had this monumental growth spurt. And Emmett, I said, get up on the stage, Emmett, come here. And I'm knee high to a grasshopper. And this kid runs up and he's fucking Hodor. And he picks me up, literally picks me up over his shoulder. And to the point where I actually had to like whisper to him, like, all right, Emmett, you got to put me <laughs> down now, bro. <laughs> you know? And so, but so we have, not only do we have, Emmett, but we also have all the fans now who every time at San Diego ask about Emmett. So we have these inside worlds with robot with our robot fans where they're like, where is Emmett or hashtag Emmett? And if Seth's ever unable to attend a panel, we send him all the hope we can that he gets out of rehab as quickly as possible. And occasionally we'll FaceTime him if he can't make it to the panel. So we have a lot of like – the fun thing is you have this inside – you have these inside jokes with the, your community, with your fan community. Yeah. So it's been great. I mean, they really are dedicated fans who – all they want to do is give us suggestions, which unfortunately we can't take because we're not allowed – legally, we're not allowed to take ideas. What do they suggest? I mean, they're not great, I will say. Uh-huh. Not necess- they're not all pearls. And you don't want but, to hear
0: one that is great because you can't You don't want to hear
1: it. one that is great because you can't You can't even – you can't. Um, and it's like Robin Williams, like with osmosis, like you're afraid you would just steal it without even knowing it. Yeah. I was told the other day a thing I pitched was a Family Guy bit. And except for the ending was different, but I was like, wow, I didn't realize that because you just there's so much pop culture, you know, crammed into our brains that a funny idea that you have suddenly you go, wait, that wasn't even my idea.
0: Do you try and vet those through, you know,
1: usually you try to vet them just kind of self vetting where you're uh, like, I know this is very familiar. And if it's familiar, it's either been done or it's just, you know, low hanging fruit and you should move on. I was definitely trying to fit. I was trying to meet a quota for uh, writing sketches. Yeah,
0: what's the quota four a day?
1: I couldn't tell you. I luckily I've uh, men in black that from my mind. So I don't know because I don't adhere to it anymore. Um I would say I'm probably the grumpiest black sheep of the writers. Yeah. Uh Doug would be a close second, but I um yes. I tend to whine and take my clothes off and get angry. It's, Why do you take your clothes off? You know, I really don't even know. It's just started happening in the booth. Um it's just something that happens in yeah, the booth okay. when 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 the spirit comes.
0: What's that like when you go work on? You said Franklin and Bash, the other sure. shows and movies. What's what's do people on those shows know your robot chicken work?
1: Yeah, for the most part, they do. At this point, now at this point, it's been on so long. If people don't know the show, they at least know the name. There's mm-hmm. some recognition there. Um, but like on Franklin and Bash, Malcolm McDowell, who's done seven hundred and eighty-five movies, yeah, is like, when can I come up and be on the show? I want to do the show. And wow. so we had him on. We, he was in the star. He was in the Star Wars special. Like he was in our first Star Wars special. He's been on the show. So I called, um, Sethi, and we had Malcolm come back on. Two weeks later at work, when am I going back on? And I'm like, you were just on. You're on more than I am. For Christ's sake, yeah. <laughs> Relax. Go do nine hundred other movies and then come back. But, um, yeah, it's fun when people want to come on. Mark Paul's come on. and um, I mean, that's the thing. As the show's grown, we've continued to work outside of the show, so we get new cast members that want to come and play. Um, and, again, as I said, the name recognition of the show helps because now people want to come and actually play um, and lampoon themselves. You know, The Walking Dead was a big thing because, you know, we didn't know who we were going to get for the special. We knew... I was pretty positive certain people would come do it. I knew Lauren uh, Cohen uh, Lauren Cohen would come do it because she's down to play. And we figured, you know, maybe we'll get Carl and that. We knew that Lincoln was going to be a tough one. We kept thinking, like... Why? Because he was... We, the rumor is... Not the rumor, but he's a very serious actor. And he takes that show real serious. And he, you know, bleeds for that show. And they do it pretty much, you know, eight months out of the year. So, like, do you want to come... Goof off with us and play the same character. We just didn't know if he'd be down to make fun of himself. There are certain times where, you know, actors are precious about their gigs. And so Seth and I kept battling with who was going to do Lincoln. I wanted to do it. He wanted to do it. So we kind of had this Rick Grimes off where it was like, no, man, I'm going to do Coral. No, I'm doing Coral. And we'd battle about who's going to actually get to do it. And then when we heard Lincoln was in, we were like, holy shit. This shows. <laughs> this shows reached a lim. This shows reached a new level. Like we're getting every single person we wanted from the Walking Dead show to come in and do the voices. That's that's growth. That's unbelievable. And uh, it's 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 incredible. I mean, it's it's fun for us at the same time. It is. You're like, ah, damn, I wanted to do Rick Grimes, but who better to do it than Lincoln? Do
0: you think that was a watershed moment when when Lincoln came in
1: for that special? Definitely, yeah. It definitely lent. This kind of overall legitimacy to it, and I think we immediately thought, well, there's no way any other cast member is going to say no if Lincoln said yes, and that was pretty much accurate. You know, Norman came in, Rooker, everybody came into play, um, which was great, which makes the special so much more fun. It's Seth and I can do our, you know, three wacky voices that we have managed to, you know, pull a lot out of in 13 years, but. To get the real people is, is is
0: real impressive. It sort of legitimizes it.
1: Yeah, I think you know when we did the robot special, we didn't have any of the Star Wars people. When we did the Star Wars specials. We didn't have any of the uh, legit people. I don't think we may have had Carrie, but we did have George, and that lended you know that basically just put a whole wash over the thing that was like this has been approved by George, we're good. But I think The Walking Dead getting everybody in that was a new thing. That just that showed the growth of the show. I think it definitely showed the popularity.
0: And you didn't have to sort of take the teeth out of the commentary
1: that no, you were making. No, we we tend not to. I mean, when we do a when we do a special for a specific property, I think we kind of lead with, "Hey, look, we're going to do what we do, and you guys can have some veto power, but don't expect this to be a love letter. We're going to have fun with it. I mean, that's what we do. I think one of the reasons George uh, George Lucas was so Um, accepting of us and letting us do our three specials and letting us then go up there and all this stuff and hang out at Skywalker is because even though we're poking fun, it's a love letter. He can tell that we're fans. You know, we're not doing the thing that everyone does with George, which is, oh, stop tinkering, leave the stuff alone, stop putting Jar Jar in and all this. We were like, we're going to take all the stuff you made and we're just going to play with it. And he saw that as kind of a love letter. These guys are fans of the product and they're not just shitting on it the way other people have done with with Star Wars. So
0: he's seen other people shit
1: on it. Yeah, I mean, I think like even South Park did a whole bit about how, you know, he won't leave well enough alone. And when he, re- you know, because he tinkers with the sequels or the prequels, he tinkers with them and then he tinkers with this. And, you know, there's a part where you go, yeah, look, as a diehard Star Wars fan, leave it the way it was. At the same time, he's the Holy Ghost. He can do whatever the hell he wants. And... I think having George stamp, George's stamp of approval opened the door for Walking Dead, Archie, DC Comics, because they saw that we embrace these things and have fun with them, as opposed to just shitting on them going, Isn't this stupid? You know, isn't Jar Jar dumb? It's like, no, let's play with that. How would Jar Jar work in the real Star Wars world? Does everyone Is everyone annoyed by him, or is there someone that even annoys Jar Jar? You know, it's like, it's fun to do the what ifs. I mean, that's what the whole basis of the show is. The whole base of robot is what if or what happened then? You know, which is where like the Emperor phone call sketch with Doug and I wrote, which was Star Wars exists. What was that phone call like when Darth Vader had to explain that I I lost that that, you know, billion dollar space station you put together. I fucked up, I lost it. You lost the whole thing? Yeah, it's all gone. It wasn't even paid off, I know, and I'm really sorry. <laughs> um, and where are you? I'm in space. I've been spinning around for two weeks. You know, it's it's that. It's the what happened after Sam and um, Frodo went to bed. What did Gollum do because he couldn't get the ring? So what did he do? Did he did he put their hand in warm water? What did he do? He was bored, you know, and a lot of it's what ifs or what happened. That's spinning in space. That, that sketch
0: probably, arguably maybe, could be the one that opened a lot of these additional doors.
1: Definitely. I mean, I think the Emperor's phone call was the thing that got passed around at Skywalker. It was up there being thrown around in the computers at Big Rock and eventually made its way to George where he saw it and him and his daughter Katie. I know Katie was a fan of the show, which always helps. That helps us get a lot of the um, kind of uh, legendary guys. If we, if their kids like it, we're lucky enough where they go, yeah, my kid liked it. I've never seen it, but I'm down. Yeah. But George watched and I think he saw that like... We embraced his property, and we were just kind of doing a love letter to it, like a fan. It's almost like fan fiction, but with a funny twist. And, you know, George opened up a sound library, so we got to use the cool sounds and stuff. We didn't have wow. to fake our own stuff. That's cool. Um, and that was big. You know, that was big for us to go up to Skywalker and sit with George on Wednesday, which is Toy Day up at the ranch. What and do you he mean? Comes in. Like, literally on, you know, we we started writing this show, Detours, for George up there after Robot, and— Every Wednesday was toy day. That was the day that the uh licensed toys got, you know, sent over to the Skywalker Ranch as, and approved. And so George would come in every Wednesday with a bag and literally like we're we are children, he would <laughs> dump the bag on the table and there would be a feeding frenzy wow. for who's going to play with this latest toy and I remember at one point I had a a laugh box. It was just this box with buttons on it and you push the one button and it just laughs over and over again different Star Wars laughs. So it has Jabba, it has Bib Fortuna, it has Salacious Crumb, it has Chewy, it has Darth, you know, it has, of course, it has Palpatine. It's got all these people laughing. I'm fucking with it, and George and I are sitting right next to each other in the writer's room, fucking with it, and I fuck with it too much, and it breaks. And I'm like, I just broke the toy George Lucas gave me in front of George Lucas. George reaches over, grabs it, takes out a pocket knife, like a 1970s Rockwell painting, and unscrews it, fixes it, hands it back, goes, Here you go, try again. And I do, and he fixed my toy for me, and also the try again was a real, was a real flick of my ear, real noogie from George. I mean, he definitely was razzing me, but um, yeah, he whipped out a pocket knife, fixed the toy, and gave it back to me. And it's one of my favorite memories from being up there. Wow, because um, it was George talking to an idiot. It was, it was my make a wish moment with George.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. So. Tell me about that. Uh, that the sound library.
1: You know, we we were told that when we did the show, uh, George kind of embraced us and we got to write the robot special. And then one day we just got told that George kind of opened up the sound library for us if we want to use any of the sounds. That was his idea. Apparently it was George. Apparently George – I mean it might have been someone else's in George, but George had to okay it and eventually go, yeah, all right. And so we got to delve into the sound library, which again, there are very few movies you can point at that say – this started something iconic that has never changed. I mean, I remember reading about Ewan McGregor practicing with his lightsaber battles, and they had to tell him, you got to stop making the noise, because you keep going, and that's what we're known to do. When you shoot a gun in a Star Wars movie, you go, pew, 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 and you do that. And so for him to open it up and let us use the actual sound effects, it just lends an authenticity to it. We could always, we could, you know, rip him off and try to do it, but to... Get his stamp of approval just kind of meant something.
0: I mean, of all the movies, yeah, probably the the most recognizable sounds.
1: Absolutely. I mean, Ben uh, uh, Ben Burtt is it Burnt? That's a weird spelled name, Ben Burtt. Um, but he created all these sounds. I mean, again, R two and three PO and all those sounds and just the the lightsabers hitting lightsabers such a unique sound right. and you can the imagine blasters. It now. Listen, yeah, just thinking in you can you just hear it. And so for him to let us use that was just. It was cool. It was a cool thing for him to do. It was just like a little, like, kind of token, a little morsel through to us, and we loved it.
0: Seth said that as you did more Star Wars stuff, you would get increasingly bold with your asks. Yeah. Is that true?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we definitely would. I mean, we, you know, the thing is, once we were kind of invited in, we were like, well, now that we're in, we're going to stay in, and we're going to keep pushing it and keep pushing it. Yeah, and— You know, we never overstayed. I think we never got, you know, we knew the things to stay away from. And they were things we'd never go to anyway. Like, enough people have done the George Tinkers with the prequels. Like, it's Mm -hmm. been done to death. We don't need to do it anymore. Um, For us, it's finding the interesting things. For us, it's like finding the really interesting avenues into what hasn't been said about Star Wars. What hasn't been played with.
0: You don't feel like you ever pushed him.
1: Um... No, never. I don't think there was ever a moment where uh, we pushed it. The only thing I think ever, I think the only time we ever came close to, hey, let's make sure George doesn't find out, is that we watched the holiday special of Star Wars at the Skywalker screening room Wow! one late night. And we've always been told, you know, George is not a fan of of the holiday special, so the fact that he watched it literally in his house might not be the best thing. But hey, by the way... It was available. Like they have it at Skywalker. We didn't bring it, so we it was we, there. It was there in the library. So we just took advantage.
0: <laughs> you guys are a big uh, friendly family. Yeah, here it seems. Yeah, you guys funny. go to Vegas every year.
1: We go to Vegas every year. We do uh, New York and uh, San Diego Comic Con. So there's kind of like three, I think, three or four main outings we have every year.
0: What's What's the Vegas outing like?
1: Vegas Outing is fun because, you know, Robots written by, you know, essentially eight of the nerdiest guys you'll ever see. And we have every nerd walk of life you can fathom. We got tall nerds, We got short nerds. We got skinny nerds. We got fat nerds. We got, you know, super good looking nerds. We got troglodyte nerds. We got everything you want here. And that's not just in the writer's room. That's the whole thing. We got, you know, super pretty people. We got super monster people. And it's great. And when we go to Vegas, all the writers come, and many of the writers have, at that point, maybe haven't been to Vegas or haven't been with us. And it's nothing crazy. It's not like we're. It's not like entourage. We basically go, get some good meal, go to some nightclub where we are incredibly out of place, and we all <laughs> sit around staring at the floor, shoe gazing, and then eventually it'll devolve into either all of us going to some silly strip club. With all the writers and uh seeing who can get the most embarrassed, and then by who can embarrass the other the most by buying them dances or something um but really, the most fun about that is the dinner and walking around the casinos and stuff and just being idiots,
0: so you guys have been doing this coming up on two hundred episodes. everybody says, "Oh, is there a movie?" No, no
1: <laughs> I don't want to watch a two hour robot I think I think it would probably be a little too long, yeah. We'd have to have some real incredible frame for that. It would have to be a really good framework, and it would definitely have to have more of a linear story. Um, What am I saying? We could do it, I guess.
0: Is there an appetite for longer, linear narrative?
1: I don't know. I mean, I think the fun of Robot is that it's kind of hit it and quit. I think the real fun thing is it's ADD theater. So if you're going to make it an hour and a half, it— better move you know what i mean it better Mm -hmm. be the fastest moving 88 minutes you would ever been to
0: does it have Um, to be that long can you do an 11 minute movie in the theater
1: i mean i i would love it we could definitely get a lot of turnover you know we'd probably have what 30 showings a day we could make a fortune if they charge regular price it would be ballsy of us to charge regular price (laughs) but i wish we would
0: but but the narrative not so much it's not in the nature of the show
1: yeah, I mean, when we do our specials, we have a through line. That's the most linear we get is mm-hmm. when we have a robot, whether it's DC, Star Wars, Walking Dead. Uh, we tend to have stuff with that. And they get, you know, those are the, the specials, are the fun ones. They get, you know, they don't win it. I think mainly our Emmys come from our Christmas specials, which is why I am the. I believe I'm the only writer who's been here that long without an Emmy. No Emmy for you. I have five Emmy nominations and no wins. And Whoa. Mike Fasolo has three Emmys. So there is no God. What's up with that? Um, I don't know what's up with that. Every time I went to do a movie, it would be like a six-week thing where I'm like, cool, I can't write for this cycle. And Seth's like, oh, it's just a Christmas thing. And every year they win an Emmy for, for the it. Christmas thing. And so I am the Susan Lucci of Robot. And for kids who don't know who she is, you can Google it. She, I, pay, I think she was nominated for like 15 Emmys. Yeah, before she won she eventually. And then she won, and it was really more of a, you know, guys, we got to do this. The Mercy she, Emmy? Yeah, she's going to show up with a rifle if we don't,
0: you know. So, When did you know that you were uh, funny, when you started being funny?
1: Um, oh God, that's a really interesting question. I don't know. I know the first joke or pun I ever told was when I was in kindergarten and we all came back from recess and jumped on the rug where you sit for like nap time. And I started singing instead of on the road again, on the rug again. And I remember they, my friend next to me laughed at that. And that left a mark. Where Your I was first like, joke. Oh, Interesting. That was my first shitty joke. <laughs> that, was my, that was my first <laughs> shitty attempt at jokes. But um, I don't know. Honestly, my whole thing, and I've said it uh, ad nauseum, is. When I come in here, my whole thing is to make Sethi laugh through that little glass square. That's the whole thing. You're so, talking
0: about the in the recording I'm talking the recording about the, booth. in
1: the record uh-huh. and in writing. It's it's similar, but it's when writing it's more like what's going to make me laugh, what's going to keep me entertained for the next you know eight hours at work. But when I'm in the in the booth where we come up with a lot of stuff and Sethi and I riff a lot in the booth, that's where to me the most fun stuff has come from in Robot, and that's where whether it's Lohan's wink. Or that type of stuff, um, whether it's Boba Fett saying "Red and blue, put them together. What do you got? Purple rain." That, oddly enough, it sounds very scripted. That was a riff in the booth when I started thinking about what colors are lightsabers, and I said, "There's red and blue." And I said, "Oh, well, if you put them together, purple. Purple rain. He's raining. He's raining. You know, violence down on these Ewoks." And again, it's just to make Seth laugh through that booth. And if that means it's taking my shirt off or my pants off, so be it. Um, or if that means just making a funny word up.
0: What's it like? What are uh, Matt and Seth like together?
1: Um, like Master Blaster from Thunderdome. <laughs> um, How do you mean? No, they're like, uh, it's like George and Lenny from Up, My and Man. <laughs> Who's who? It changes day to day. No, I think, honestly, uh, it's funny. They're so different, but they've been working together for so long that they know each other so well. So they seem similar, but they're actually very, very different. Matt is, Matt, I feel like is nuts and bolts, rules and regulations, framing things, getting the theme for overall things. And then Seth comes in with his microscope and dissects things to the nth degree. And eventually he'll get to the very bottom and he'll get to the nucleus and go, Okay, that's funny. Or, nah, I don't think so. And uh, they're both very useful in different ways. (laughs) And they're both very, very effective as bosses. I will say that. It's weird having your best friend as your boss, but I care. The money's green, so why can't my boss be green? How did you meet Seth? Uh, Seth and I were always going up for the same parts. You know, we were acting since we were pretty much sperm. I think he was younger sperm. He might have been like a zygote when we were... I started when I was 11. I think Seth started when he was 8. And when we were around 13 or 14, we started always being the last two guys for parts. And it was always offbeat, whether it was Bully or Stoner Guy. And they kept continuing. And so, like, him and I for Austin Powers, him and I for Road Trip, him and I for Clueless. And it was either, like, I got it or he got it. Occasionally it was Ethan Embry or Jamie Kennedy. But for the most part, it was Sethy and I. And the difference was I really like this guy. This was an actor who when he booked a job instead of me, I was cool with it because he's good. You know, there's sometimes an actor books and you're like, what the fuck? Really? They went with that guy? Daniel Day-Lewis got it? Fuck that, you know. But with Sethy, every time I heard it was him, I was like, oh, that's cool. And he's the same way. He's like, yeah, he's perfect for it. There are times Seth has been in the room and said, you know who'd be great? Brecken." You know, I've never done that for him and I never will. <laughs> but that was very sweet of him. Um but so we knew each other and then at, at around 16 I went to a Halloween party he invited me to at his house and it was right when Pee-wee Herman got arrested and I showed up in a Pee-wee Herman costume with handcuffs and Seth was like this guy's going to be in my world. Um and we just that was it we literally just I lived at his house for 3 months cuz he had a washer dryer and I didn't have any heat or hot water so I'd showered his house. I mean I showered at I did my laundry at Seth's house when I was auditioning for Clueless. Like he was he was a saving grace because I had nothing. Um, and he had an apartment. Which was cool.
0: Growing up in Hollywood.
1: Growing up in the valley, in the deep valley, skateboarding everywhere because I couldn't afford gas. And so I would skateboard with my laundry to Seth's. And if you know Los Angeles, deep Burbank to deep Encino is not short. And then when Clueless came about, I skateboarded from deep... Burbank to uh, Paramount, which is on Melrose, which it's a freeway. (laughs) You have to go on. There's no way to avoid it. There's a freeway you have to go on or a very, very busy street called Coenga, which moves like a freeway. So to be on skateboard for that is not – I wouldn't recommend it.
0: You guys going to get to 300 episodes?
1: I mean, I guess there's – I mean, unless we have heart attacks and, you know, or something – Ebola runs through the building, I think we'll be okay. I think we'll probably get to 300 It might not be funny, but we might get there. We'll definitely have a 300 parody when we get there.
0: Brecken Meyer, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Check out adultswim.com slash podcast for links to some of the things Brecken and I were just talking about. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. Adultswimpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks to Dave Bonowitz and Christina Loringer for editing and producing these podcasts. Thanks also to Maggie Cannon for arranging everything. And thank you for listening. And thank you for listening. And thank you for listening. <laughs>